The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. We're in the business of proclaiming the gospel of Christ to the lost, and that's what we're going to do. So please take your Bibles, and if you're able to stand, please stand. We're going to look at the 23rd Psalm. Psalm 23, verse 1. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness. For his name's sake, yea, though I walk through the to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me; thy rod and thy staff is they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies; that anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. My Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be able to stand here and preach your word. Father, I pray for our pastor and our sister, Pam. We lift up Brother Dalton and his family, Lord, with the death of his mother. Pray they will bring him back safely. Pray, Lord, for the service that we're about to get into here, Lord, that you will bless us and Bring somebody to the knowledge of Christ. If there is someone among us who doesn't know you as Savior, allow them, Lord, to see how beautiful it is to know you as our God. We praise you, Lord, for this opportunity, and we ask that you will bless us all. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The 23rd Psalm is read in many, many hospitals, in homes, where people are suffering. And to the average Bible reader, this is just another psalm. But to someone who is going through a major crisis or has received bad news from the doctor, or even for those who are at the point of dying, you can find a great deal of comfort in these few words. Um, Psalm 22, 23, and 24 run together. I'll give you just a few things we'll get in before we get into the message. In these three psalms, you have the cross, the Savior, and the King, the crown. Jesus is the prophet, the priest, and the King. There is no crown without the cross. But if you have have trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to heaven regardless of what happens here on earth. Philippians 1.6 says this, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Christian family is not exempt from sickness, physical pain, suffering, and even physical death. But if you are a child of God, you can say with confidence that the Lord is your shepherd, and he will give you 
the grace to endure whatever it is that you have to go through in this life when the time comes. Psalm, 20, Psalm 22, in Psalm 22, you have a suffering prophet. Hundreds of years before Christ, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, King David wrote a detailed description of the crucifixion right down to the clothing that the Lord was wearing when he was crucified. When you read the Gospels and look up the references, you find specific details of the crucifixion in Psalm 22. This is just one of the many ways that we know that the Bible is the Word of God because it's prophetically, historically, and scientifically accurate. It describes specific events that will take place far into the future with great detail long before they come to pass. Just like Kyle was saying a little while ago, I say to you, stick with your Bible and let science and education catch up later. In Psalm 23, we have the great shepherd. The writer of the book of Hebrews has an excellent benediction on this. Hebrews 13, 20, and uh, I'm sorry, yes, Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And Peter puts it like this in First Peter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And in Psalm 24, he is the king of glory. Psalm 24, verses 9 and 10 says this, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. I could spend a great deal of time on that, but I need to move on. In Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Apart from John 3.16, I don't know another verse in the Bible that is more popular than this. You hear heathens mention this every now and then, and they have no clue what they're talking about. The Lord is my shepherd is a declaration of a person who is dependent on God, not only in this life, but for the next life, for the one to come. And say people don't have the right to claim Christ as their shepherd because they simply don't know him. In Proverbs 28, verse 9, the Bible says that he that turneth his way turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. God doesn't have any grandchildren. If you're not a child of God, Christ is not your shepherd. It's simply that simple. Jesus made it very plain to the people of his time who were always trying to trip him up, and they could never do it. 
And he told him, the reason you don't believe me is because you are not of my sheep. You can look that up in John 10, verses 24 to 29. Now, it is obvious that someone has to care for the sheep. Sheep are not very smart. They don't know how to fight. They don't know how to defend themselves. And they have a tendency to go astray for no apparent reason. They just like to wander around. And as a result of wandering, they get in trouble. And so they rely on their shepherd for their care and protection. You will say, why would you want the Lord to be your shepherd? Number one, he, he knows his sheep. And he cares for them a great deal. With all the technology we have available right now, you know, one of the things that makes me, makes me upset sometimes is that people claim that they have many followers. You know, people always following somebody on social media. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I always wonder what would happen to the man who claims to have many followers if he gets in trouble, big trouble. How many of these people will come to save him in the middle of the night if he needs somebody? Probably nobody, because they're, they're no friends, really. They're just people out there. John 10, verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. If you don't have a, at least one friend or a family member that you can call any time, day or night, to your rescue when you find yourself in trouble, day or night, you are in trouble. Now, sheep are stupid. Okay, let's, let's make that plain. They're very stubborn. And they're dirty little animals. I do a lot of driving around this county. And I think it's a perfect description of the human race. Have you ever seen the south end of a northbound sheep? not pretty, not pretty. If there is one thing that humanity needs to learn is that we are not independent. And to confirm that, all you have to do is look around and see the mess that we have made simply because we don't want God to govern our lives. The only thing that God has to do is remove his hand of protection and let us go and we are very capable of destroying ourselves. So far, in the past 10 years, we have begun to do a great job at destroying each other. We're replacing everything that is, that is good and godly with evil. You know that most animals are born with a nice fur coat on them? It, many of them can run within hours after they are born, but that's not the case with people. In Exodus 13 and verse 13, which, by the way, is not in the Bible in the order that it is by accident. The Bible teaches that every word in the Bible is the word of God. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. So you can test the word of God, and you know that it's accurate and timeless. So I want you to take your Bibles to Exodus 13 and verse 13. I love the King James Bible because it's plain and sometimes it's harsh language that you find in it, but it is the Word of God. 
In other words, what we have in the Bible is what God has revealed to the world. And if we're going to learn anything about this awesome God that we claim to, pro- to, to worship, there's only one way to do it. That is, we have to go and Facebook, I call it, you know, get your face in the book. That's what I call it, you know. Anyhow, 13, uh, Exodus 13 and verse 13. And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the, born, all the firstborn of, uh, of men among thy children shall thou redeem. The donkey in Bible times was like the pickup truck of today. You know? It was the beast of burden. When a female donkey had a, her first baby, if the farmer wanted to keep that baby donkey, he had to redeem it with a lamb. If the farmer didn't redeem it with a lamb, he had to destroy it by breaking his neck. That sounds harsh, but there's a picture being painted here that you need to look into. This was a choice, either redeem it or destroy it. The farmer will give a a lamb to the priest, and the priest will kill it and make an offering on behalf of that farmer for the farmer to keep the baby donkey. Later, provision was made for the donkey to be redeemed with money. You can look at those references in Leviticus 27 and also Numbers 18.15 if you want to look that up later. But this is the picture. An unsaved person is compared to a donkey. And the only way to save that donkey is to sacrifice a lamb. If you are not willing to accept the finished work of Christ, your neck is going to be broken. Meaning you will end up in hell. Man is born wild, untamed, void of understanding, not only wicked, but the Bible teaches that man is desperately wicked. It's always unwilling to submit to the authority of God. And this is why we spend so much time telling our kids to do, to do this, to do this. Don't, don't do that, you know. Always after them, try to, to teach them that which is good. Because by nature, they don't want to do that which is good. And the best, the best thing that a man can do without God is still empty and worthless. If you want your deeds to count, if you're not saved, the best thing to do is to surrender your life to Christ. And only then, whatever it is that you're doing will count for something. John 1.29 said that Jesus is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Moving on here. Sheep don't lie down unless they have a full stomach. They're always munching. You see those things always eating. And they get scared very easy. This is why they don't like to drink from stream or moving water. You scare them, you just go boo and they run away. And they definitely don't like to drink dirty water. You will never see a sheep drinking with the pigs. They just don't like that. This is another beautiful picture of the distinction and the separation that we, the Christians, need to make 
in the world. When sheep lie down, it's a good indication that they have a full stomach, enough water and food has been provided, and they are satisfied. John 6, 35 says this, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I think you can make that connection there. The good shepherd will always make sure that you have what you need to be satisfied. Verse 3, he says, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm sure you know the phrase, if it's not broken, don't fix it. I think we know that. Young people don't know that, but older people do. You never restore or fix anything unless it's broken and fallen apart. People who are rescued from a sinful, wicked lifestyle appreciate and enjoy their salvation more than your average sinner. And that is because they know what it's like to be free from the grip of Satan. If you know what it's like to be a great sinner, you will know a good thing when you see one. And I know when I say this that it's not always the case, but usually those who love the Lord and enjoy serving the most is those who have been rescued from a wicked, sinful lifestyle and have been forgiven much and they have been restored. This is why they're so thankful. David could remember the days when he was a shepherd boy and God took him from among his people to be the king of the people of God. In Psalm 78, verses 70 and 71 says this, He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him he brought him to feed Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. And then when he was established as the king of Israel, he went on to commit that great sin with Bathsheba. And to top it off, he put Uriah the Hittite to death, trying to cover up what he had done. And that's a terrible thing. You know, you, tr you try to convince people that God was a man after God's, God's own heart and they don't, they don't buy it. But the beautiful thing about God is that he doesn't cover up the sins of the people and his heroes. They're all listed in the Bible for you and I to learn from it. If you are a child of God and you are involved in some wicked sin you can be sure that the Lord will make sure that you don't get by with it. He's going to spank you for sure. David didn't get away with it. God sent Nathan, the prophet, and told him that the sword will never depart from his house. Those are scary words to hear from a prophet, even for a king. And that's what happened. The baby he had with Bathsheba died, and then the sword immediately started to swing in his own house. His son Amnon raped his sister Tamar. David was upset when that happened, but he didn't do anything about it. Then Absalom's David, this was David's favorite son, was determined to do something about it. And two years after the rape of Tamar, 
Absalom managed to convince his father to allow all his sons to accept an invitation. His intention was to kill his brother for what he had done to his sister Tamar. And at first it seems like David is smelling something's not right here, but eventually he gave in. I don't think he saw this one coming because Absalom managed to, con- to, to kill his brother Amnon. Later on, Absalom was determined to take the kingdom away from his father. And just like Nathan told David, Absalom went into his father's concubines in broad daylight. And finally, Absalom was killed and David was devastated and wished that he had died instead of him. By now, David has three members of his family dead, one greatly ashamed. And in all these things, you don't read anywhere in the Bible David complaining for all the things that he's going through. In all the misery he had, he never, he never complained. He was a great sinner, but he was also a great repenter. Finally, he was restored into his kingship position, and God did it all for his name's sake, not for David. And in all these things, God is always protecting his good name and his reputation. In 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13, it says this, God chose David to be the king of Israel, and that promise was going to stand, even though David had committed a horrible sin. And if you go on to read Psalm 51, here you find David pleading with God. And in verse 12, he says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. In the end, God allows these things to happen for his own glory. And David was restored. And he did say, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Not David's, but God's joy. Then verse 4. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they come from me. If the Lord is your shepherd, you can find great, great courage in this. I spend many, many nights with uh, our brother, Victor Irvine, when he was dying, and he claimed this verse. He was always comforted by reading these verses. The moment of your death is going to be the supreme test of your life. And unless the Lord comes before that moment, we all have to face it. The entire human race is under the shadow of death. And you don't know when that moment is going to come. Or where you're going to die. But every day that goes by, we are getting closer and closer to the day of our death. And not everyone dies in a nice hospital bed or at home. Death is, is, is one of those things that is just embarrassing. You know, <laughs> when people are dying, it's just an embarrassing event. And death surprises people every day. And if the Lord is not your shepherd, you are simply not prepared to die. Have you noticed that death always shows up when you're not ready? 
I've seen people healthy, lively, smiling, having a good time in the morning, and by the end of the day, they're dead. You just don't know when, when it's coming. But from the moment you are born, you enter into the valley of the shadow of death. And when that moment comes, if the Lord is your shepherd, he will be with you when you take your last breath, and he will bring you home. Thy rod and thy staff, they come from me. The rod is for defense, and the staff is for correction. When the sheep were in trouble, the shepherd will use the rod to defend them. And when the sheep went astray, the shepherd will use the, the staff to bring them back into the fold. In your Christian life, you need both. You need correction and protection. You know, the Lord has blessed this church with a good pastor, and he's always telling us what kind of things we need to stay away from. So you should never get upset with your pastor when in his sermons he mentions something that steps on your toes. The Lord is using your pastor to protect you and to correct you. So pray for him. Help him if you can. Don't make his life miserable. Verse 5 says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. We always emphasize here that context is everything when we teach and or preach in the Bible. When this psalm was written, it was for the Jewish people. And even though they have always been surrounded by enemies, they are the people of God, and they're not going anywhere. You go down the list of all the, the enemies who have gone out of existence, and the Jewish people are still here. If you want to prove to the world that the Bible is true, study the Jew. Study the Jewish people. You know, By all estimations, the Jewish people should not exist according to the world. But God's hand is over them and protect them. They're not going anywhere. Here's a, a small list of people that have gone out of existence. You have never seen one of these move into your neighborhood. You have never seen an Amalekite. You have never seen a Philistine, a Jebusite, a Hittite, an Ammonite, an Amorite, a Moabite, a Canaanite, a Hivite, or a Parasite. Actually, the Parasites are still here. I see them every day. <laughs> but the spelling of the Parasites that I'm talking about is a little different. So, but I think you get the point. The Jewish people are here to stay. When they are afflicted and reduced in numbers by their enemies, they always come back. And it's not like that with their enemies. Right now, the tiny nation of Israel is a big problem for the United Nations, and they don't know what to do with them. In Zechariah 12, verse 2 says that, Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling to the people around them. And that's what's going on right now. You see those people every day in the news. They're not going anywhere. When this psalm was written, the promises in this psalm were for the Jewish people at that time to possess material blessings. 
But the Bible is a timeless book, and it's always good, no matter how many thousands of years go by, it's always up-to-date and accurate. So it looks far into the future, and you may ask yourself, what about the Christians? What's in it for you and me? What about the church? What's the application? Right now, while the world hates us, if you claim the name of God, if, if you are vocal, you proclaim it everywhere you go, they're going to hate your guts. And people are desperate trying to get rid of everything that is, God is, that is godly and replacing it with evil. You scratch your head and say, what's going on with these people? They simply don't know God. Real Christians can never be completely exterminated. You know, persecution is the best tool that God uses to reveal who are the real Christians and to get rid of the fake ones. Nobody will stick around and risk losing his life for something they don't believe in. And when the test comes, the first people to disappear are the fake Christians. You'll never see them. Right now, the largest growing church is the underground church in communist China. You know, these brothers and sisters are suffering tremendous persecution. While here in America, we have to beg people to come to church and remind them, keep reminding please come to church. We're having services tonight, and they still don't come. And sometimes when they come, not all of them, but some of them have a sour look on their face. There's nothing the pastor can preach on to bring a smile on their faces. I always say that it's okay to have sense of humor. It's okay to laugh. I don't think that God is a killjoy. You know, just look at us. Some of us are just funny and some of us are just funny looking. You know? It's okay, it's okay to spend time with your family. This is God's family. We're going to spend eternity together. So why not start now? It's good to worship the Lord. When we come to church, we should be prepared to sing praises, to study his word, and to really enjoy doing it. When unsaved people come to visit, not just church, but any Christian church that claims to be a Christian church, which nowadays is, is hard to tell the difference. But when they come to visit our church, if unsaved people don't see the joy of the Lord in our faces, why would they want to come back? You know, the world is looking for something that will give them long-lasting joy. And we have it in Jesus Christ. But if we have a long face, they don't want what we have here. A true Christian has the Holy Spirit in him. That is the phrase, that anointeth my head with oil, and the cup that runneth over is the joy of knowing that Jesus Christ is your God. He's your shepherd. He's your Savior. That should put a smile on your face. And to know that we belong to God should make us joyful people. And even though the world is falling apart right before our eyes, we should be able to smile and say, it's almost over. One of these days, he's coming, and we're out of here. It's coming soon. And so the Good Shepherd brings us all the way from the green pastures to the still waters into the Father's house. Psalm 20, uh, 23, verse 6 says, 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I can always make in my head a mental picture of what is going to be in the millennial kingdom. But I can never imagine what heaven is look like. It looks like. We just know that it's a glorious place. But that doesn't tell me much. You know, Paul went to heaven and came back and he didn't tell us anything. You can, you can ask him when you get there why he didn't say anything about it. But if you want to know a little bit about the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, go to Isaiah. Isaiah is the book that gives you the most detail about that kingdom. I'll give you just one and I'll be done. In Isaiah 30, verse 26 says, Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days, in the day that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people and healeth the stroke of their wound. Jesus is going to be on this planet, on planet earth, for 1,000 years. While he's here, the sun is going to shine seven times brighter, not hotter. People with no hair on their head will have a hard time if it was hotter, but it'll be brighter, not hotter. It would be like combining the light, the sunlight of seven days and putting it all in one day. And the same thing with the moon. Quality of light and no pollution, no sin, the world is going to be almost to the way it was back in the garden. Not completely, but almost, because there'll be still a little bit of sin, but nobody's going to get away with it like they're getting away with right now. Quality of light, no pollution, produces longevity. That explains why people, before the flood, lived to be almost a thousand years old. And those days are coming soon, I hope. You know the giant redwood trees we see up in the Sierra? They look like toothpicks in the millennial kingdom. I'm looking forward to that. And that's only a preview of what it's going to be like. You know, This is just before we go into heaven. We don't know what heaven is going to look like. We can't even imagine. When I study these things, it blesses my little gizzard, and I want to get there now. In John 14, verses 1 through 3, we read this. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, the ye there ye may be also. Christ is coming again. And I hope he comes in my lifetime because I don't want to croak. <laughs> I hope he does. Sheep are not worth much. I don't know how much you pay for a sheep around here, but I know they're not worth a lot of money. But the good shepherd was willing to die for his sheep. If the Lord is your shepherd... This psalm is for you. And you can say with confidence that the Lord is my shepherd. And the promises contained in these few words, they're for you. 
And if you're not saved, make that day today. I agree with the Lord that you are a sinner who needs forgiveness, and he will restore you and give you eternal life for free. I don't think that's a bad deal. I'll pray that you will do that today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.